Hello and welcome back to What About Us? Cultural Awareness in Clinical Practice. This is our first episode of 2021 and it's going to be our April episode. We're aiming to bring out episodes every month from now on. And Afsana and I are so excited to be back and we're just so grateful to you all for your positive feedback about the podcast over the past few months. And for our episode today, we're joined by Noura Abe. Noura is a PhD student at the School of Social Policy at the University of Bristol. She's also founder and director of Autism Independence, as well as being a non-executive director at Sirona Care and Health, which is an NHS service provider. In this episode, I talk with Noura about her current research programme, looking at the awareness of autism in the Somali community and we talk about her navigating her identities as a PhD student and successful researcher alongside being a Somali woman and mother of an autistic child. Nora, thank you so much for joining the What's About Us podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. And I just wanted to start off by asking you to introduce yourself and just say a little bit about your current work and research. Thank you, Katie. It's absolutely a pleasure to take part in your, um, your work. So my name is Nora Abbey. I am currently in my first year doing my PhD at Bristol University in the School of Social Policy Studies. I'm also running a community organisation that I found called Autism Independence at the back of when my son Zach was diagnosed with autism. I also sit as an executive director at the Serona Curran Health organisation. So that's a few of the things I do. Wow, that must keep you busy. <laughs> Lots yeah. of different roles. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and you said that you're studying for a PhD. Could you tell me a bit more about the topic of that? So my PhD, I am interested in exploring understanding autism and ethnicity. Um, particularly, I'm interested looking at um, families with autistic children from African an Asian descent who are living in in the UK, particularly in the South West. And my topic is particularly focusing on access to support, whether there is barriers or not. Mm, mm. And I know you're you're in the early days of your PhD, but you did already do some research in that area. Could you tell me a little bit about the research you've done before? So, yeah, so um, when Saki was diagnosed with autism, uh, I never really heard of autism before. And the community that I'm from, the Somali community, I found out that there was higher incidence of autism in the Somali community, which was very evident in my experience in, in Bristol and in the UK. So I had to try and understand more. And in that process, supporting my son, why there was higher incidence of autism in the Somali community and, and how evident that um, was. So when I understood autism myself, because I've never heard of autism myself when Saki was diagnosed with autism, access to high support for him, which was really difficult because when you're dealing with something you don't know, 
it is very difficult to get the right support because you don't know where to start. And not only that, I really had little understanding about the process of the diagnosis and the people that were involved, particularly agencies, the service providers that was involved in my son's care. So I've never heard of speech and language therapy at the time. I've never heard of occupational therapy. I've never heard of educational psychologists. There wasn't such roles were not available, were not existing in, in, in Somalia. Um, so that journey took me setting up autism independence after I managed to understand the system and get the right support for Zag so that I support other families who are in the same position once I was. And and that led me an um, approaching Bristol's Bristol University, luckily through a friend who knew someone in Bristol University who did the first who was involved in the first research that was carried out in Sweden, um, which has shown um, higher pre- prevalence of autism, the clusters of Somali family that were in Sweden. And so I share my concerns, the lack of access and um, services, and, and some of the challenges the families there who are coming to me are experiencing and their autism independence. So that led managing to secure with Bristol University, the uh, Clark West, they are now called the ACWES, um, funding to carry out a pilot study with 15 participants from the Somali community to understand their experience accessing support. And that study was really the beginning of the work that autism independence were doing, it helped us shape our services and the way that we support families, which meant that um, we had a deeper understanding how families struggle navigating the system, accessing support, and particularly how autism was understood in the Somali community. So, you know, almost every participant who took part in that study said they've never heard of autism before. And and, and I really wasn't surprised. And, and also, accessing support was really difficult for them. They had no idea what was involved in the process. And it was really interesting piece of work, which I think opened the eyes of a lot of service use, service providers in Bristol and helped them to have different ways, to think of different ways that they can explore supporting families from these communities. And, and I think that was something I'm really proud of to be part of. And I think that piece of work then, you know, lend itself doing other pieces of research, including a piece we've done with Health Watch. A follow up then of that piece of work was doing a quantitative research with 50 families from the Somali community and, and, and understanding further in detail, breaking down which part of accessing support that they struggle with. Again, that has given us quite a raw data in, in particular areas that we have to focus in the way that we provided support to families and their autism independence. So, for example, you know, most of the families said they had known they haven't understood the educational healthcare system, which meant then we provided a real support around the different sections of the healthcare educational healthcare plan, helping them understand some of the terminology that was um 
involved in that process. Most of the families said they were having trouble accessing support around social care. So we've then um, got involved um, with social service work and started doing um, dropping sessions for families to access support and, and build trust. So absolutely the work that we have done around research and working with families have been the drive of consistently shaping our work. Yeah that's just so inspiring to hear about that journey of um, having never heard of autism um, at the beginning to being where you are now having done this really important research but is genuinely changing the lives of Somali autistic young people and their families and really lovely to hear that journey from doing the research where you were finding out the opinions of the Somali community to actually putting it into practice with Bristol Health Watch and I wondered from both your personal experience and also from your research what are the sorts of barriers that you've identified to the Somali community being able to get support around autism? I think one of the key things that both from my professional and my personal experience and around access to services and been the main barrier has been the lack of cultural understanding from the service provider perspective but then the lack of understanding around autism in the Somali community and the stigma that come comes with the interpretation of autism because there's no word and therefore that dichotomy between a culture and a system fails young people from these communities because automatically what happens if families are not educated around what they're dealing with the young person misses early intervention they don't access the right support both from home and in school. The relationship and the trust between the system and the family doesn't work. And therefore, there isn't that joined up relationship and trust to support that young person. And therefore, means in the long term, they are causing society double what could have been spent on them when they were younger and therefore there need to be a whole system and culture change in supporting families from ethnic minority and that culturally responsive approaches need to be embedded within services from the top in order to ensure that families can be supported in the most impactful way. Mm. And it sounds like you've identified that actually there needs to be structural changes coming from the top to ensure that there is this culturally sensitive approach. What do you think that approach should look like? How can we be more culturally sensitive? Well, there have to be an extensive training, a training that is designed to support surface providers in building that understanding within surfaces and as a start. There need to be information and support need to be accessible within the community, not coming from the outside and coming to the community. There need to be embedded support around building relationship and there need to be ways the service users need to be part of community activities so that there is that dialogue. 
it has to start somewhere. But I think from my experience and the way we have been tackling from an, an autism independent perspective is relationship, ensuring that knowledge from communities are embedded within systems and then empowering families to understand what they're dealing with so that they'll start integrated understanding and services for 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 young people from these communities mm, and i know that you are doing that work with your organization autism independence i'm wondering what the impact of that work has been well from sitting with um about i think it was a couple of parents in 2000 summer 2013 and sharing my story and about Saki and some of the challenges I have experienced with autism and, and, and how I was still struggling and to families sharing their story with me, but not admitting that their children had autism and sort of were sort of discussing around the services and of the issues around autism. We've now got over 100 families that we support. Um, it's unfortunate we've been obviously impacted by the COVID-19 um, struggles as to anyone, any other organisation. But we've got under our membership up to 100 families that now accesses our services. We're talking about families who never want to talk about autism, families who hide their children to now actually come into our office, which has autism independence on it and talking about it. I never forget when one parent who once called me and said uh, Nora I need help with my son I think he has autism but I don't want anyone else to know that I've contacted you because I know you are I know you, you, you know what you stand for in the community the lady who has got a child with autism and therefore if contacting you and talking to you means I sort of relate in that um, sort of description of yours and, and and that stayed with me, and and I had mm. to absolutely make sure. And under autism independent, we do what we can to change that behaviour. It's not the you know it's not the parents' fault. And one of the key messages we've been trying to get it out: it's not your fault that you have got a child with autism. And it doesn't mean it's the end of their life. It just means they need the right support, and you have to understand how you be that first advocate for your per for your young person, and then you know providing training to professionals to build that culturally sensitive, um, culturally responsive and um, approaches that they can support to really engage and reach out to these marginalised families. Mm, and what sorts of things do you want clinicians to be doing differently to reach out to these families? Well, first of all, they need to have an awareness why a family are not going to come and access the support, They why they're not going to come and find services, why they're not going to engage with the communications that they uh, the, the, that they provide to these families. I know once there was a, a school teacher who said to me, no, I don't understand. Um, we keep sending all these appointments to families. We keep making all, all these appointments for them and they never reply. With that... With that um, practitioner what that teacher didn't understand is 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 the stigma that comes with autism in the community mm. and therefore really have an understanding why a family might not engage what is the underlying factors behind why is that happening 
what can they do differently, i.e. how can information be in a way that um, suitable or, or, or appropriate for that family, you know, use in community organisations, use in, you know, community sort of information. There is a lot of this uh, um, emerging research now around the whole accessibility and barriers around these communities and some of the findings from COVID-19 and the impact of a BAME community has been evident and a learning for all of us. How do we do things differently? How, how do we close that gap of inequality and sort of see a society where there's um, more of an equity? Mm, and it's, it just sounds like you're doing amazing work in that area um, for families and young people with autism. It's really, really good to hear about that work that you're doing. There was just something that I wanted to pick up on that you said earlier, Nura, which was that you were lucky to be able to be put in touch with someone um, at Bristol University who you were able to start doing research with. And it, it just strikes me that actually it's not just luck. You've actually worked incredibly hard to do all the important work that you're doing. And I'm just wondering how you have found that experience as a Somali woman entering clinical and also academic practice in this field. Well, it has been a really interesting and exciting journey for me from being a parent, you know, totally non-academic, um, to be able to actually do my PhD and complete all my higher education, I my degree, my master's, and now doing my PhD, you know, publish research papers. It's been a very, very interesting and really rewarding process. But um, that gap in terms of being an insider and outsider within systems, I think, has been struck with me. And I think my research paper, Inside, Outside, borrowed quite a lot in terms of being an outsider from the research and academic world. And my colleague who has carried out that piece of research with me, being an outsider from the community and exchanging our experience and both sort of trying to understand from each other's world our experience has been quite it probably be would provide more insight into into the point you've asked me but if i touch on it i guess for me the learning has been that um fitting in completely a different culture with expectations so while it has been wonderful at times to be able to sit on that table and 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 share my experience, there could also be an impact at my professional capacity and, and often can easily be put in a box as, as, as someone who is from the BAME community and could be perceived as a community researcher rather than a PhD student. And therefore, I think society can easily shape people, putting them into boxes and completely dismissing that the level of expertise has been overshadowed by their identity. Mm, yeah, and I can imagine it's probably quite frustrating and tiring as well to always be expected to be the kind of BAME voice in the room. I can imagine that's quite a difficult position to be put in, especially when you have worked so hard. And like you say, you have academic papers out, you are 
starting doing a PhD, um, you've got so many achievements which are <laughs> completely separate to your identity as a mother of an autistic child and as a Somali woman. Absolutely, and 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 and, and these are the things um, I guess over over time you end up accepting it and you um it becomes normal which is not normal um so it, it is it is something i think as a society needs challenging it needs to be i think looked at in terms of how do we actually see the the values somebody adds in in their capacity beyond their identity. I think there's a lot that we need to learn from um, in terms of um, really recognizing individual capacity. Um, so sometimes I, I, I actually do struggle um, whether I need to bring up my personal story and, and also my background and how I end up where I am I struggle to make the decision whether I mention that background or not, or, or whether I don't mention it, so that people can actually see the my sort of um, capacity um, or competence, which is, I think, in to certain extent, from my perspective, sad because I see my my struggle with my son inspire me to do what I'm doing and and I never want to leave him out of that story. Mm, absolutely it's so important but just listening to you talk it's made me reflect that actually that's so much bandwidth so much thinking power that you're having to spend on navigating those dynamics of kind of asserting yourself as a professional and a researcher outside of your lived experience um, as a Somali mother of an autistic boy and you know that personally as a kind of white researcher and clinician that's bandwidth that I just don't have to use I don't have to spend that time navigating those dynamics and trying to position myself in such a way and um, yeah just reflecting that 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 must take up a lot of time and energy. Absolutely Uh, and I think um, I've I've had better skills as I immigrated in this country as a child from a flooding war and I think that has been the beginning when I had to start, I mediated different identities from being a Muslim woman to try and fit in the Western culture. And therefore the expectations of when I am with in school or when I am at work, making sure I, I sort of associate that sort of culture to then going back home and and fitting in the 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 Muslim culture, the Somali culture, which I belong to, and and how do I then try and make sure in the both different contexts that I stay true? So I think from from a child that has been a struggle, to be honest with you, and and, and a challenge to be able to identify, you know, and identify myself different um sort of cultures and 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 coming into then this arena to be able to then find in myself in the same um uncertainty of mediating different identities um in my own career 
it's 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 quite interesting and 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 I really hope that experience helped me to formulate a a, a process or a strategy to to be able to can be a takeaway for young women who are in my position that um, I'm sure experience this on a daily basis. I'm just at early stages of my book. So I hope towards the end of my PhD, I would be able to communicate um, these different identity crises through um, a, a, a format that can be a takeaway as a learning for um, both um, for society and other others who relate to me mm, mm, and I, I absolutely love Nira that you've just dropped in that you're also writing a book on top of everything else that's just incredible um, and you mentioned that you want to kind of help young women who might be navigating a similar kind of mediation of different cultural identities and I wondered if we could just finish up by you giving some advice to um, young people who might be in a similar position to you and looking to have a career trajectory like yours. I think one of the things that has helped me over the years is I had the opportunity to speak to people like yourself, Kate, and and others around in my sort of um, network. Talking about it very honestly has been a way to process my experience. I think talking about it and recognising that these are the challenges that we experience on a daily basis, being very open about it in terms of your work, and, and within your community and recognising that there is definitely an issue around women like myself and struggling on a daily basis, mediating different identities and, and also knowing that within that process, this is this is very real. And, 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 and I think, you know, recognising more than anything and talking about it and accepting it and, and sharing people around you has been probably what has helped me the most. Mm. Oh, Nuru, you've been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today and really looking forward to seeing where your career takes you next and to your book. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Katie. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. So that was the wonderful Nora Abe. Thank you so much to Nora for taking part in the podcast today. Um, Afsana will be presenting the next episode, which will be coming out in May. So look out for that. Thank you.